Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Jonathan Lyles, or as some of you might know, John John. There's way too many family here. You guys know me for who I really am. This is, uh, and then I start out tonight by meeting Jack Baskins. So yes, one of the more intimidating servants I've been in a long time. Um, I am so happy to have my wife Becky with me. Um, she's not always able to travel with me, but tonight we're in Springfield together, and she came. And so this is my wife, Becky. Would you please stand? Amen. We've been married for 26 years by God's grace, right? If you know, John, if you know the John John version of me, that is by God's grace. Um, anyway, this is our family. We have three kids, and now we have a, another kid, a daughter-in-law. And now we have our first grandbaby. And one of the reasons we're back is because this grandbaby arrived. He arrived three weeks early. So he's already not going by our time schedule. And we're just so happy. He was born here in Springfield. We're just so happy to see him and hold him. And uh, Becky volunteered one night to go just listen to him coo and talk all night. You know what I mean? Um, so we're also glad to be here in Springfield with family and friends. And it's always an encouragement to be in Springfield, Missouri. There, this is a rare place in the world. Uh, when it comes to faith, when it comes to godly people, when it comes to good churches, this is a rarity, this, this town, and we're glad to be in this area. Uh, tonight, I'd like to take you through just a quick slideshow to kind of present to you what our work is like in Italy, and to present to you why we're in Italy, and what we're doing in Italy, and then we'll get into Luke chapter 7 tonight, if you want to go ahead and turn there, Luke chapter 7. So, let's get started. Can you guys see that? You probably can't see that. There's a reason why I stopped using this one, huh? Let me read it for you. Italy never experienced the Reformation. The Reformation occurred throughout Europe and England and was a time of renewed trust in God as believers rediscovered the Bible as the foundation of their faith and religious practice. The United States of America was initially born out of this desire for freedom of religion and conscience. Instead of a Reformation, a counter-Reformation was initiated from Rome persecuting any who exercise this newfound freedom of faith and conscience. Now it is a mission field. Satanism is growing in various areas. And most of these statistics come from the book Operation World. For those of you familiar with missions, uh, that you can look these statistics up in that book. Uh, Turin is one of the global centers of Satanism in the world. They pray for the removal of missionaries as part of the rituals. There are three times more consulting magicians 
than Catholic priests in Italy. You want to have your, uh, your aura read? There are three times more of those kinds of people in Italy than there are Catholic priests. More than 70% of Italy's communities are without an established Bible-believing congregation. Only 1.1% of the population are considered Bible-believing. Only 15% of religious Italians attend church weekly. Europe is the only continent where Christianity is in decline, and Islam is the fastest-growing religion by birth rate and through immigration. Uh, Italy has a coastline that is three times the size of Florida's coastline, three times the distance of Florida's coastline, and we are 80 miles from northern Africa. And when I say northern Africa, I mean the northern Africa where we saw all the guys in the orange jumpsuits and the beheadings a few years ago as they pointed their swords toward Rome. So when we talk about immigration issues here in the United States and problems, we're talking about Roman Catholics predominantly coming into our country. When we talk about immigration issues in Italy, we're talking about sometimes radical Muslims coming up into Italy 80 miles away. Lastly, Roman Catholicism ceased to be the state religion of Italy in 1984. So we live in what's called the Castelli Romani. There are approximately 230 people 30,000 people living in this area. So is, what was the population of the Springfield area now? It's about 300,000. Okay, close to that. We're the only Baptist church on the southeast side of Rome in this area of 17 towns, and we're very small. Four out of 17 of these towns have only one Bible-believing church, so an evangelical church. And uh, if you were to get us all together on any given Sunday we might be able to pull together 500, and I'm using the word Christian loosely here, okay, evangelical believers in our area. So, if you can imagine Springfield, Missouri, with one church of 500 people, that's where we live in Italy. And that seems pretty shocking, doesn't it? But those are the statistics for all of Italy. Rome, Venice, Florence, Naples, Milan. Up north, the percentages are even less. The chance that someone has the opportunity to hear a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is much more rare than even down where we're at. So this is what that means. We have some friends, Claudia Marina. Marina is standing by Rebecca there in that picture. Marina has a master's degree in Japanese. She works, or used to work for the consulate, the Japanese consulate in Rome. So we're not talking like beginner's Japanese. We're talking... She knows her stuff. And one day, as Becky was talking with her and, and kind of basically trying to open up the gospel to Marina, Marina said, listen, I don't feel like I have the knowledge to understand the Bible. I don't feel like I'm educated enough to begin to understand the Bible. And the reason why Marina would say that, and the reason why so many people live that in Italy, is because that has been the reality for hundreds of years. You can never begin to fathom or comprehend the Bible without the secret code books that we have here stored under the Vatican. Just don't try. That's a reality. So here's a woman with a master's degree in Japanese, brilliant, who doesn't feel educated enough to pick up a Bible and read it for herself. Giorgio Fornetti is a man uh, who read his Bible for the first time when our son Kent challenged him to. Uh, Giorgio works for the NASA of Europe in laser sciences. One day he, he showed me his phone 
and his phone had uh, the Sistine Chapel on it in detail. And I said, you're not supposed to take videos and photos of the Sistine Chapel, are you, Georgia? And I said, well, my assignment for the last three weeks has been going in at night, and I've been taking a millimeter by millimeter scan of the Sistine Chapel. And I just looked at Georgia and said, you call me a friend, and you didn't invite me? Like, you've been in the Sistine Chapel alone at night, sitting and waiting, and you didn't call me? I thought we were friends. Recently, um, when I say recently, I mean within the last year and a half or so, Georgia and his wife came over to our house for breakfast, and they began to ask us many questions. Meals happened to be a great time to share our faith. They began to ask many questions of our faith. We had a three-hour Bible study with them in our yard. And in that Bible study, they asked very specific questions about our faith, and we opened up the Word of God. We were not trying to say, hey, here's what our faith believes. We were saying, hey, here's what the Bible teaches. Giorgio has not talked to me for a year and a half. We had a 12-year relationship. That happens all the time. I once went around and asked Christians uh, in the churches in Italy, especially younger Christians, hey, from the time you heard the gospel to the time you really kind of believed, how long do you think that was? And the number was from somewhere from like three to seven years from the moment they heard the gospel. And these are the believers. Italy is long, hard work. I can remember uh, asking God one time, God, why did you send, in high school, this is going to be hard to believe, I was a sprinter, and I pole vaulted at Kickapoo High School. And, uh, you know, I was just, I'm, I'm a sprinter. My mind, my I think I have ADHD before I was diagnosed. Those of you who taught me know well, yes, he does. And uh, I, I asked, Lord, why would you send a sprinter to Rome, Italy? Bill Standridge, the man who sponsored us into the country, had been there since 1948, had seen several people called into ministry. His church ran 120. His three sons are in ministry in Italy. Very, he's considered one of the more successful missionaries that moved to Italy and started churches. His church runs 120. Great man of God, passed away from COVID at the beginning of COVID. And I said, God, why would you send a sprinter with a sprinter's mentality, someone who, who and because Italy is this, it, I asked Bill, how long is it going to take to start a church? He said, at least 10 years. It will take you 10 years to begin a church in Rome, Italy. And I thought, how in the world is that even possible? I, I think I thought to myself at the time, I'm going to show you guys. I, I, I feel kind of sorry for you. I'm going to show you how to get it done in five. And then when I've done that, I'll share with you all my knowledge, right? I'm pretty sure that thought went through my mind. That didn't happen. It has taken every bit of 10 years to get our first church off the ground. I feel like we started over three times. We're on our third church. You guys ever heard that about church planning? And then it hit me. We've started over how many times? That's what a sprinter does. If I were a marathon guy, there's no end to this road. But I start and stop and start and stop and start and stop and start and stop, and that's exactly what God needs in Italy and in all of Europe. This is Massimon Mason. Mason has an amazing story. She's a, a rocky Kurdish woman. They escaped from the war. They didn't want to fight America. Across the border, left everything behind. She finds Massimo in Sweden. They're working together. They marry. They move back to Grotaferrata, Italy. And as many of you know, my parents were missionaries in Iran for 
uh, 12 years, and I was born there. That's on my passport. They give me a problem for that. And I look at them and I say, really, you think I'm Iranian? <laughs> like, you know they're like beautiful people, right? Um, but anyway, Mason and I have had many, many discussions. And she asked me, what's the major difference between Islam and Christianity? And I was really trying to get it just in a nutshell. Where I said, you know, Mason, for, to me it seems that Islam is all about the physical. This piece of land, this plan over this period of time, for, for, if we'll have this many babies over this many years, eventually Islam will grow. And I said, the, the Christian faith, the biblical Christian faith, is not at all about the physical, but it's about the kingdom of God. It's about the fact that eternity starts the moment we believe. That when I die, I slip into my reality and leave this earth behind. Jesus didn't squabble over land rights. He said, listen, some of you are going to worship on that mountain and on this mountain. But the time is coming. In fact, it's here now when those who worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. So, that's my conversation with Mason. We're still praying for them. Next, Daniela Barocci. Now, this lady has two degrees in linguistics. She's our language tutor, and she was helping me translate for an event we had. And Daniela, uh, when we got to a certain part, I was trying to be, you know, a cool Christian, right? So I said, today I would like to invite you to begin a conversation with God. If I were to say that to you, what would you think I'm saying? Today I would like to invite you to begin a conversation with God. Prayer. She goes, Jonathan, I don't understand what you're trying to say. And I said, well, prayer. She goes, I still don't understand. I said, okay. Where do you go to church? Well, I go to the, the Greek Orthodox Roman Catholic Church. Eh? It's the only one in Italy. It's in our town. I go to the Greek Orthodox. I said, okay, so do you guys do Mass in, she said, Greek. I said, okay, so you must pray in Greek. Yes, yes, okay. All right, Daniela, let's, let's skip past that for a minute. Let's say you're at home and you just got a, a phone call, you got some bad news, and you need to pray, what language would you pray in? Greek. Okay. So you know Greek? No. You don't know Greek? No. But you pray in Greek? Yeah. How does that work? Well, I memorize certain prayers in Greek, and we just kind of apply them to certain situations. Here's a woman with two master's degrees, speaks English really well, her husband's uh, Canadian. He refuses to say the name of our town properly. The name of our town is Grote Ferrata. Roger, the Canadian? Grata Ferrata. Amen. Grata Ferrata. Grata Ferrata. We live in Grata Ferrata. This woman had no idea what it meant in her own language from her heart to pray, to talk to God. We talk all the time in America about the advantages we have and the things we take for granted. That should probably go top on the list, right? Next slide. Valerio was the first man we gave a Bible to. We had a Christmas event. Seventy-some people showed up. We gave every family a Bible. Valerio walks across the room with his daughter, Alice, and puts, lays the Bible on his lap, Genesis 1-1, and he begins to read it to her. And so I walk across the room. I notice this tender moment. And I say, Valerio, do you guys read the Bible at home often? No. Do you have a Bible? Well, now we do. Thank you. I said, oh, okay. I said, so what do you, you know, I'm trying to get off this Bible track now because this, obviously, he knows nothing about the Bible. I said, well, what do you do for a living? I work for the Vatican. 
Excuse me? Yeah, I'm an employee. If you've ever been to Rome, you see the big yellow buses, Rome Christian Tours. I managed that for the Vatican. So you're a Vatican employee, but you've never owned a Bible or opened one? These people are highly educated. These people are wise. These people are good parents. They make a lot of sense in a lot of ways, but they've never cracked open a Bible. We've had that conversation recently over and over again. We, we bump into people all the time, highly educated, some of them very wealthy, have never cracked open a Bible in their whole lives. That's our job, right? I find some of these people won't ever come to church, so what do I do? You've got to crack open the Bible, right? On the spot, you, you open your Bible, and you begin to walk them through and maybe ask some questions and get them involved in reading the Bible for themselves. That was a Sewell thing in college. Get them, get their face in the Bible. Next. So we found that most of our friends in Italy do not attend church regularly. They do not own or read Bible themselves. They do not understand how to pray. And they do not know if they've ever really placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So our plan, and this slide shows a little bit old. We had a little problem, so, but is to invite our friends to church regularly, which we do. Encourage our friends to read instead of the Bible, which we do. Pray with our friends in Italy modeling biblical prayer. You know, you meet people who've only ever prayed in another language. And you wouldn't believe the look on their face when you begin, when you just bow your head and you go to the throne of grace. Father, I pray that you'd be with them today. Jesus, they don't believe in you yet. But would you help them believe? Would you hear their prayers today? Would you help them come to faith in Jesus Christ? We pray with people all the time. Invite our friends in Italy to believe in Jesus and receive what he's done and start the church outside. So the church outside is our church planting model. Here's our goal for the next however long the Lord gives us. There are 17 towns in the Castello Romani. We've started one Bible study. We've been doing that consistently for almost a year, two times a week. We would like to start two more Bible studies this year in different towns of the Castello Romani. Hopefully, depending on how the Lord blesses, how the Lord opens doors, we will start 17 Bible studies in the Castello Romani, one for each of the towns. Now, that's just our section of Rome. That's just our 230,000 people. There are 4.5 million people in Rome. And so that, what I just described to you, you probably can do the math. That's going to take us the rest of our lives, if we have good health, to start a Bible study in each one of these towns and then bring those Bible studies together in a church format at least once a month. That will take us the rest of our lives. We need help. We need help. Can you imagine Springfield, Missouri with a church of 500 and that's it? That's where we're at. So tonight we're going to talk about great faith. I think we're done with the slideshow. There you go. In Luke 7, this phrase great faith is only used a couple of times in the New Testament and this is one of them. Luke 7 verses 1 through 10. Now when he had ended all of his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. And when he'd heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for who they should do this, for he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Verse 6, Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. 
but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man of set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. What would it be like to have the kind of faith that stirred the heart of God? The kind of faith that would surprise or even shock Jesus? The kind of faith that believed He could and would respond with a yes? In Luke chapter 7, we find a man whose prayer request did just that. There was a centurion, a foreigner to the faith, who made a bold request. He was the kind of man who took on the needs of others. The Jewish leaders he sent to make his request to Jesus, begged Jesus to help the centurion because of the good he'd done for them. And who was he asking for? A servant in his household that he dearly loved. When Jesus responded by heading in his direction, this centurion responded with humility and faith, understanding the true authority of Jesus. Trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. Jesus was amazed. This centurion understood something about Jesus and something about himself that literally stopped Jesus in his tracks. He knew Jesus was God and could answer his request with a simple word. He knew that before Jesus, he was simply just another man. And we often see in Scripture that God is drawn to humility and faith in his word. Jesus answered this humble man's request, not because this man claimed to be good or deserving, but because he knew he wasn't. Jesus answered this humble request and was amazed at his faith. I say unto you, Jesus said, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. We also see this pattern in Acts chapter 10, when another centurion named Cornelius he prayed, and God visited him with, with an angelic vision with very specific instructions. God had seen this man's quiet devotion, his selfless generosity, and faithful respect. He was, the Bible says, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people. And he prayed to God always, Acts 10, 2. God would choose to open up the message of Jesus beyond Israel to the whole world through the faith of this one man, Cornelius. So what would it be like to have that kind of faith? The kind of faith that stirred the heart of God. The kind of faith that would surprise and even shock Jesus. The kind of faith that believed He could and would respond with a yes. Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. John 20, 29. 
there is a special place in God's heart for those who would come to faith in Christ without physically seeing Him. Jesus even prayed this prayer over us in John 17. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe through their word. God's heart is stirred by those who believe without seeing. That is us. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 He is surprised and pleased when we believe this way. He responds in kind to our faith in Him. Our great God considers it great faith when we take Him at His word. When I look at the world around us, I see broken governments, I see shattered cities, and probably most sadly, broken people. America has changed. Since the time Becky and I first left for the field, we actually started raising support in 2005, fresh, brand new little missionaries, right? Till now, when we come back to the States, let me tell you, America has changed. People are broken. We're not living in an age of faith and reason, but of doubt and dissolution. Education is quickly deteriorating, society is descending, and marriage and family are disintegrating. Our kids and grandkids are paying the price. And now I'm a grandpa myself. And I wonder, what kind of world am I going to leave my little guy? More than ever, this world needs people of great faith. So how can we have such great faith in such desperate times? We can have great faith in these desperate times by, number one, knowing His Word. Now, that sounds simple. If I were to ask you today, what does it mean to know God's Word? We would say, to read it, to meditate on it, to study it, to pray it, right? There, there are many ways to get to know God's Word. And many of us, for many years, have opened our Bibles and we've gotten to know the God of the Bible through His Word. But if you're like me, when, when, there are so many times in just the last year, I will open my Bible, and I've read through this thing now. I've been to Bible college, I've studied it, I've read it consistently, and let me tell you, there's something new every time. The voice of the Lord comes alive in the Word of God, and He speaks to us fresh and new. So many weird things that I've learned this last year. You know what hit me one day? When Paul is talking about, uh, there's a group of, uh, uh, there, there's a problem in the church. And he is saying, listen, I can't be there with you right now, but until I can, I want you to go ahead and pass judgment on this brother. And, and check this, I will join you in spirit, and I will be passing judgment on him too. You know what Paul just said there in the Bible? Like, this is way before Yoda and Star Wars. I will be at the meeting. I'm not going to be there in person, but I'll be there in spirit. I read that, and I read it again, and I read it again. I'm like, is he saying what I think he's saying? He's there. I remember reading in Corinthians about communion. And, man, this hit me like a brick in the face one day. I'm reading about communion, and, and Paul's instructing them, now listen, um, I, want to, I want to tell you something about your communion, your Lord's Supper. Uh, some of you who are wealthy are getting drunk, and you're having a party at the Lord's Supper. And others in the church are hurting 
and they're poor and they don't have any food to eat. And I need to, I need to let you know this is a shame to the Lord. That the poor would hurt while the rich are parting right in the presence of the Lord in his name for the, the dinner in honor of his name. And so Paul's really nonchalant about this in the passage. He says, now I need you to know that some of you are sick and even some of you have even fallen dead because of your uncaring hearts. Huh? Yeah, God doesn't need you anymore if you're going to party while your brothers and sisters are hurting. Uh-oh. Does the Bible really say? You know, every time we open up the Word of God, God will speak to us. He will instruct us in righteousness. He'll break our hearts. all If we'll let him, if we'll go with an open heart, he'll make it new and he'll make it fresh all over again. It's easy to be a Christian for many, many years and to think we know God's word. To think that we've pretty much figured it out by now. We've heard all the sermons. We've read all the books about the books, about the books, about the Bible. We've been to Sunday school. We've taught Awana. We've we've been involved with the Word of God for many, many years. And in that very moment, we've turned our back on an open heart and an open mind to hearing from the Lord through His Word. How can we have such great faith in desperate times? By knowing His Word. When we know God's Word, we don't get lost in a sea of feelings or opinions. And I've, I've known myself and I've known others who have been lost for decades in a sea of their own feelings and opinions because somewhere along the line they stopped looking to the Word of God. It's one thing to look to the Word of God while we're sitting here in this room together called church. It's a whole other thing to look to the Word of God when we're struggling, when we're suffering, when our hearts are filled with bitterness, when we need to forgive, when we need to love, it's a whole other thing, isn't it? We can have great faith if we're willing to take God at his word, but first we have to know his word, his whole word. I love the parts of the Bible that I've already got down, right? I love the parts of the Bible that I've already mastered, that I've already obeyed, that I've already seen happen in my life. It's, it's those parts that I've kind of ignored for years about giving, thanksgiving, loving our enemies. We can have great faith in these desperate times by trusting His Word. See, it's one thing to know the Word of God, to discover it, to be able to open it, to understand it, to be able to read it, to be able to explain it. It's one thing to know the Word of God. It's another thing to trust it. It's a whole different thing. It's a new level. Yeah, so these kids today like to talk about leveling up in the games, right? This is leveling up. We can know the Word of God. We can sit in church. We can hear the Word of God. We can be filled with the Word of God. But if we don't do the Word of God, we're missing out. Jesus promised abundant life. We're missing. If all we do is hear the Word of God, but we don't do it. When we trust God's word, we please God and we activate his goodwill. And then number three, we can have great faith in these times when we honor God's word above everything else. Again, it's easy to come to this room, to open our Bibles, to experience this together, 
But where does the Bible stand when the pressure is on? Monday morning. Where does the Bible stand when we're facing the heat at work? Where does the Bible stand in our opinions and our life in private? This man, he honored the word of the Lord, didn't he? The centurion. Jesus said, I'm going I'm to go to his house, I'm going to heal him. And when he heard Jesus was on his way, he said, listen, if you'll just speak the word. I, I believe that if you'll just say it. I know what authority looks like. I know what authority is, and I believe. If Jesus, if you'll just say it, my, my servant will be healed. And Jesus was dumbfounded. This one's tough. Do we honor God's word above our own perspective? Do we honor God's word above our own opinion? You know, I had a Bible professor who used to always say, what does the Bible say? And he didn't mean it just like in the pulpit from the Bible, but what does the Bible say in real life when we're trying to live out our faith? I remember when God got a hold of my heart just a few years back, really. It's been about six years. And I had been a missionary for seven years in Italy, and I had um, preached from the Word of God, but the Word of God was not my passion. And God allowed me to go through some brokenheartedness, and He allowed me to experience some really deep valleys. And when I went through that time, I can remember all of a sudden the Word of God becoming precious again. I can remember sitting in my living room and, and reading for 30 minutes, for an hour, for two hours, for three hours. And if you were in the other room, you would, you would think, that guy's having a conversation. Somebody's in our living room with John. Because God was speaking. And that, do, you, do you ever remember a time in your life like that? When the Word of God was so important, so real, when it was literally, when we opened the pages, you could hear eternity open up. And when we began to, not just out of a discipline, but out of a passion for Him and His presence and His righteousness and His goodness and His love and His healing. And we begin to open the Word of God and we begin to just consume it. And it consumes us. I can remember a few times in those early morning sessions that three hours felt like five minutes. All time slipped away. When was the last time you were there? What a beautiful place. I wish I could say my every day was that way. I wish I could say that every day I get up and I spend two to three hours with the Lord. I, I try. I try to spend time with the Lord. And as hard as I try and as big as my goals are, I don't, I don't hit the three-hour mark. And what I have to go back to is, is my passion for the Word of God where it was then. When man, when God, I, literally I would have a question, a deep and burning question for the Lord, and I would come to Him and I'd say, Lord, what about this? And I would open up my Bible in the Old Testament somewhere, and there it was. And God was speaking. It's one thing to use the Bible. It's a whole other thing to be consumed with the Word of God. It's not enough to go to Italy and to teach and preach the Bible. 
They need to see people on fire. They need to see people lit up from the inside out with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. It's the only way it's ever going to break through. Italy never had a Reformation. My dad, who was in Iran for 12 years, has visited us there in Rome and has said, John, this place is dark. As dark as Tehran was. And I can attest to that. We've, we've had a lot of dark valleys there. It's a hard place. It's, we used to fly over there and you just feel it. As soon as you hit the ground, you feel, feel a cover of darkness. And can I tell you, in those dark, dark moments, there's only one thing. I, Becky has laying around her house her little note cards with Scripture written on them. And it's all worn out, and it's a big ring, you know, and you put the note cards in there. And man, that thing's worn out, and it's got tears on it. There's only one thing that's gotten us this far. 90% of the missionaries that go to Italy don't go back for a second term. And I could sit here tonight and tell you hours of stories of what our family's been through just to be in Italy, not to succeed. I mean, there are places in this world I could jump off the plane start throwing Bibles at people, and they'd start getting saved like crazy. That ain't Italy. I wish I could sit here tonight and tell you that we expect and plan for great success. I want that. I pray for that. We work toward that. I want all 17 towns to have their own Bible study. But if God doesn't show up, if the Word of God isn't honored, if people aren't consumed by their need for the Lord, It'll never happen. You know what gives me hope? My parents were in Iran, and when they came back, from what I understand, correct me, okay, you were there. When they came back from Iran, they had their tails tucked. Dad was sick. He had been sick for a while. They came back, and then the revolution happened, and they weren't allowed to go back. And they've sat for 40 years looking back at a very confusing moment of their life. Can I tell you what's happened? They invested years of prayer and years of faith and years of witness in this country and it didn't make any sense. Why would you go to a place and not see anything happen? Why would it all just be wiped away with one revolution? Everything's gone that we worked all of our years for. Have you been reading what's happening with Iranians in the last few years? <laughs> you know what God likes to do? God likes to work in such a way that we don't get any credit for it. And now you look at the Iranians all over the world are getting saved by the thousands. I met two of them in Istanbul just about a year ago. Was that a year ago or two years ago? About a year ago. These guys both had served time in Iran for their faith. And they were on fire. On fire, ready to go back. Ready to do whatever it took of the third country, and you, you, hear what, you read what's happening in the streets of Iran, there's riots, some whispering, another revolution is coming, this time to change what's happened. And I think about Rome, and I think about all the hard years, and I think about all the prayer, and I think about all the witnessing, and I think about all the night, late nights in prayer, and I think about the many times Becky and I have gotten on our knees and begged God for certain people, certain name by name. God, will you please?
you know what the Bible says? That if we'll go bearing precious seed with tears, there will come a day. There will come a day that we will rejoice. And it may not, we may not be on Italian soil by that time. We may, one of us may not be alive by that time. But the kingdom of God moves forward in our small little daily prayers. Are we willing to have great faith to take God at His Word and say, no matter what it takes, no matter how long it takes, I will obey. Not because I feel like it. Not because it's convenient. Not because it makes me look good. But because you, Jesus, because you are worthy. He, is, he alone is worthy. We can have great faith. I need you to know we already have a leg up on the apostles. We're blessed people. Jesus said himself that those who believe in him without actually seeing him are blessed. We already have a leg up in the apostles. Jesus also said that those who believed in him would do greater works than he did. Huh? You know the verse. You've heard it, right? John 14. Believe in me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very work, work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me and the works that I do, shall he do, that shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. What are we asking in His name tonight? Are we really honestly asking God for the nations? Are we really honestly asking God for our neighbor? Are we really honestly seeking God, exalting His Word, knowing His Word, and, and believing His Word and taking Him at His Word? The greatest revivals that the world has ever seen started in prayer humble people in sin and sickness seeking the face of God. You know, uh, I mentioned uh, Rome is a dark place, and for many years it's been that way. Since 2005, every time we went there. We, we've been, someone asked me today, how much you pay for gas? I said, I've been paying six fifty a gallon since 2008. So this business, this is, this is, we've been doing that since 2008, right? It was, you know what's happened though? Beck and I have talked about this often. That used to be the hard place, and this used to be the place of rest and of peace and of comfort and of getting our batteries. You know what's happened? In the last two years. We come back here, and we have to hit our knees as soon as we get off the plane. God, would you help us? God, would you help us? America's turning, and it's up to us in this room. Springfield's such a beautiful town, beautiful place. I love living here. I love being from here. We've lived here. We've raised kids here. We've spent a lot of our life here, our younger years in education. Um, we love this town. We love these people. You know what would be a shame is if we go to Italy and Springfield turns away from the Lord. We pray for you. There's a battle all around us, and God is looking... The Bible says in Second Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole earth 
to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are toward him. God is looking for people of great faith. That, can, I, can, I, can I just make a few suggestions? You don't have to be young to be filled with great faith. You don't have to be whole to pray for wholeness for somebody else. You don't have to have it all together to pray that God would work in a mighty way on behalf of someone else. That is great faith, taking God at his word. This is what we hope to do in Italy as we return. We're returning January 3rd is when I'm returning. Becky's returning sometime in that range. Uh, this has been the weirdest furlough we've ever done. Uh, my, our son Kent is my intern right now and is traveling with me quite a bit. Not tonight, uh, but most of the time he's with me. Becky's here with her parents, with the grandbaby. Um, would you pray for us as we go back to Italy? We so want to please the Lord. We so want to live for the Lord. We so want to serve the Lord in Italy. And we want to, have, we want to be people of great faith. We're not great people. If you know us, it takes about five minutes to figure out we're just really, really normal people. Nothing really special about us, but we want to be people of great faith. We take God at His word, and I want to challenge you tonight to be people of great faith. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for his help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?